It made headlines across the United States and the world. 17 missionaries associated with a U.S.-based Christian charity were abducted by a group called 400 Mawozul. Haiti's surging gang problem claimed 17 more hostages, this time Americans and one Canadian. But gang kidnappings and gang violence have been a problem in Haiti for a while. I'm afraid that the gangs might come and kidnap me. Now, one of the country's most notorious gang leaders is promoting himself as a solution to the dire state of Haiti. This system is criminal. This gun is a symbol of our revolution, the revolution against the 5% of those who hold all the wealth of our nation. Al Jazeera sits down with Jimmy Chabruze, a.k.a. Barbecue, in a rare interview with one of Haiti's most infamous gang leaders. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Before we get to the gang leader, let's start with our correspondent who got the interview. You don't really need an introduction for viewers of Al Jazeera, but for listeners, why don't you give us your full name and tell us what you do? Sure. I'm Rob Reynolds. I'm a senior correspondent at Al Jazeera English. I've been with the network now since 2006 when we first went on the air. Rob has been back and forth to Haiti over the years, after a coup in the 90s and after the 2010 earthquake. But this time was different. He says things felt more dangerous than they had before. Breaking overnight, U.S. missionaries kidnapped. Reports of at least 17 people, including children, have been abducted by a gang in Haiti. The main reason that I was asked to go was to cover the story of the 17 kidnapped missionaries, American and Canadian, who were taken by a gang and held for ransom. And the the gang indicated it wanted $17 million, $1 million per person. The missionary group has been operating in Haiti for decades with a nine-month break two years ago following a previous spate of gang violence. This group of missionaries, they were apparently working on things like helping at orphanages and other charitable institutions. They're from uh, very conservative, quietistic Protestant groups called the Mennonites and Amish, and they took with them their children. So there's kids ranging from 15 to 8 months old into a very unstable country. Can you tell me a little bit more about what we know about what the missionaries were doing when they were kidnapped and and why this group was targeted? This was a busload of people. They had been reportedly helping out at an orphanage to the north of the capital when they were on their way to the airport and were stopped by the members of this gang, 400 Moazo, and taken captive. We were told off the record by a staff member that all but a handful of aid workers have been evacuated from the country and almost all of their work has been suspended as efforts remain underway to free the hostages. The group itself has a checkered history in Haiti because several years ago, one of the members of the group, not the people who were kidnapped, but this particular religious ministry, which is based in Ohio, was uh, found to have molested children in Haiti. And the group had to pay out nearly half a million dollars in compensation. I I don't want to cast any aspersions on the individuals who are being held captive, but, you know, right now, the... U.S. State Department has put its highest 
warning level, level four, red alert, telling U.S. citizens, do not go to Haiti. And just a couple of days ago, in fact, the State Department went a bit further and said all U.S. citizens who are in Haiti are strongly advised to leave. So that's, from the U.S. side at least, an indication of how unstable and potentially dangerous things are in the country. What do we know about the gang that kidnapped the missionaries? They are known as a violent gang that carries out a lot of kidnappings. Haitian police say 400 Mawazo was responsible for the abduction, loosely translated as 400 inexperienced men. It's said to be responsible for some 80% of the kidnappings this year. But it's one of several gangs and sort of confederations of gangs that control large parts of Port-au-Prince, the capital, and the rest of the country. But it's concentrated in Port-au-Prince. These gangs are very powerful. They're more powerful in many ways in their own turf than the government is with its really minimal security forces. Do you have a sense of the history of this gang problem in Haiti? I know it's not new, but does it appear to be surging? Does anything appear to be new about it? There have been gangs for a long time, but they've increased in power as the state itself has seen its power wither. So there's a political vacuum, and the gangs, to a certain extent, are actually trying to fill that vacuum in a political way. There's been a massive upsurge in kidnappings since the assassination of the country's president in July this year, removing the last vestige of a functioning central government. Some of the gangs accuse government figures of having a hand in the assassination without really offering any evidence. And in fact, there has been no public explanation of exactly what happened, who was behind the assassination. This is also something that led to this real expansion of gang influence and a lot of confusion, discouragement, conspiracist thinking among Haitian people who want to know what happened to their president. Whether they liked him or not, at the time that he was in office, they want some answers. And so far, nobody's given any. What has the mood been like in the wake of these kidnappings? Many Haitians were outraged by the kidnappings. This targeting of foreigners, people who are, who are not from Haiti, like the missionaries, that kind of thing had not happened before. They held demonstrations. People held up signs saying, free the Americans. And they were upset about it. But Haitian people themselves are suffering from a terrible amount of fear. People told me they live in fear of being kidnapped or of suffering from gang violence. Which raises a good point. So a lot of attention has been paid to these Americans and the Canadian missionary, but what about Haitians? What about the people who live there? They live in fear. Like, a really, they are scared. According to a human rights recording group, at least 800 people have been kidnapped from January to October. And these are people, not necessarily wealthy people who get kidnapped and held for ransom. These are people of very small means. For example, we were able to talk to a young Haitian girl, 15 years old, who was literally snatched on her way home from school. They took me and blindfolded me. I don't know where they took me. Then they raped me. I was crying and calling out for my mom, and I could hear other children crying too. 
She said she was sexually assaulted. Wow. The gang who took her, presented her mother this exorbitant demand for tens of thousands of dollars, which, of course, she didn't have. But she was able to sell everything that she owned and scrape together a couple thousand dollars. I feel good because they didn't kill her. I was glad I could see her and get her back. They're living in a shelter or safe home that that helps uh, battered and abused women. They're penniless now. And just from speaking with them, although I, I don't speak Creole, the language of Haiti, just being in their presence, it was clear that it's been an enormously traumatic event in their lives. What did you hear from people about how they cope day to day? It's kind of like the kidnapping capital of the world. They're scared. Geraldine Alfaris, a child protection specialist with UNICEF, says it's not safe. Honestly, there's no place that I can call like secure place in Haiti right now. Everywhere is insecure for any girls or women. Another aid worker told Al Jazeera some women who were kidnapped die. No one finds them. No one finds the bodies. The cases are rarely solved. And the UNICEF specialist added that those who survive the incident don't always survive. I heard some case that women or girls that has been kidnapped, they kill themselves. People, again, as I say, people are living in fear. So these gang members are the cause of a lot of tragedy in Haiti right now. But as Rob says, they also hold a lot of power. What are they planning to do with that power? To answer that, Rob tried to connect with one of Haiti's most notorious gang leaders. He told us getting that interview wasn't easy, but the team managed to find a way. So, Rob, you spoke to one person. He would like to see the country change. He says he wants to get people more food, health care, sanitation, education. He goes by the name Barbecue. Can you tell me about how you met him, why he has that name? Yeah, Barbecue is the childhood nickname of a man named Jimmy Charose. Charose is known as somebody who will talk to journalists. He sometimes holds press conferences, unlike, you know, other gang leaders. You will have to see that. And I think that he wants to transition into having a more political role in the country. We didn't go uninvited. Barbecue is not the kind of guy you just knock on his door without an invitation. We obtained permission to do an interview with him. We went into his stronghold. He showed up wearing camouflage, a black beret, and great big automatic weapons strapped to his chest. He's a former police officer, and he is now the leader of a gang called the G9, which is kind of a confederation of various gangs. Is it surprising at all that he's a former police officer who's now a a gang leader? Not really. There's, There's kind of a porous boundary between security forces and elements that are operating outside the law. Camouflage, the very large weapon strapped to his chest the entire time. What was the experience like in your interview with him? We had to go through various blockades and barricades to get there. And then when we finally got to the spot, Charose Barbecue came up, shook hands, My cameraman, Adrian Wilson, put the lavalier microphone on the strap of the weapon, (laughs) which Adrian said was a new experience for him. And then we talked. 
And what did you talk about? We talked about a lot of things. When he was a kid, his mom ran a little barbecue stand in a market. And he told me there were a lot of Jimmies at that time. One kid was Jimmy Bananas, another one was Jimmy Charcoal, and I wound up Jimmy Barbecue just because of what my mom did. It's, it's kind of a threatening-sounding nickname, like he might want to barbecue people, but that's the, something he's been called since he was a kid. So his name might not be threatening, but Shahrzeh's gang has been accused of assassinations. He's a suspect in one of the country's worst massacres, the slaughter of dozens of men, women, and children three years ago. But he seemed more anxious to tell Rob about his political goals. After the assassination of President Jovenel Moise in July, Prime Minister Ariel Henry took power. Charouze, Rob says, is not an Ariel Henry fan. What did you learn? He wants the acting Prime Minister Ariel Henry to step down. He told me he believes, without offering any particular evidence, that the Prime Minister Henri was involved in the assassination of Jovenel Moise. Barbecue is kind of positioning himself right now, transforming himself to take on a political role, but he demands a political price. And that price includes Haitians' access to fuel, Rob says. There's a severe fuel shortage, putting hospitals and patients at risk. And there were strikes by Haitians who can't fill up their tanks. Many of them are blaming the gangs. Now, G9, Barbecue's gang, is seen by many as being responsible for stopping the fuel. Sometimes the driver is kidnapped. So this naturally is a disincentive to anyone wanting to drive a fuel truck. But Jimmy Charze says that he can open the floodgates to fuel and bring the country back to its normal state. And he said that if Ariel Henry steps down at 8 o'clock by 8.05, the trucks will be filling up with petrol and everything will be getting back to normal in that regard, at least. He's trying to exercise a political role, not, not just the kind of criminal role that other gangs and gang leaders are. I'm not a gangster. I never will be a gangster. It's the system I'm fighting against today. The system has a lot of money. They own the media. Now they try to make me look like a gangster. What is his actual plan to lead? He speaks in a very populist way that harkens back to very popular themes in Haitian history. To go back more than 200 years, Haiti was a colony of France. The French overlordship of of Haiti was particularly brutal. Slaves were brought from Africa, and these enslaved people were essentially worked to death. So in the late 18th century, rose up and fought for their freedom and eventually became the first successful revolt of enslaved people anywhere in the world. What Jimmy Charze Barbecue says, he models himself on one of the heroes and leaders of that struggle for freedom to take away power from the minuscule percentage of Haitian families that control much of the wealth. He rails against what he calls the bourgeoisie, that the entire system is corrupt and needs to be torn up. 
We are fighting for another society, another Haiti that is not only for the 5% of the people who keep all the wealth, but a new Haiti where everyone can have food, clean water, so they can have a decent house to live in. Another Haiti where we don't have to leave the country. He took us on a tour of this neighborhood, La Saline, and he would just walk into people's uh, dwellings made of corrugated uh, metal and sticks. And, and leftover bits of lumber and things and say, see, uh, look how people live. Well, this child can't go to school. There's no running water here. Good, clean water for the people. He urged us to show the world the desperate poverty in which millions of Haitians live out their lives without basic sanitation, health care, education, or hopes for a better future. I don't think he is like wanting to be president necessarily. My interpretation was that he wanted to be a powerful figure, maybe the power, you know, behind the throne as it were. And let's not forget that this is a person accused of doing many bad things, including massacres of people, allegations of killing and murder. He does head a criminal gang. He also showed you around the neighborhood. Did people look scared? Were people happy to see him? They kind of laughed, you know, smiled nervously. Of course. But nobody said, hey, get out of here. That's for sure. At one point when we were walking around, I said, people don't seem to be too afraid of you. And he said, no, of course, everyone likes me here. If all the bad things that the government said about me were true, people wouldn't even allow me to walk around here on the street. And I said, well, you are carrying a really large gun. <laughs> so that was the end of that. He was carrying the gun the whole time. With the gang violence, with his violent past, the kidnappings, others must have concerns about that. I don't know what the exact state of public opinion is in Haiti. There's no polling. There's really no way to to gauge that. But people certainly are frustrated. The conditions of everyday life are so bad. There's so much turmoil. It's difficult to say. I'm sure that many people would find that repugnant. Others might see it as a desperate last chance for some kind of stability. I mean, the country does have the experience of dictatorship the 1950s through the 1970s with Francois Papadoc Duvalier and his son Baby Doc. So they know what it's like. And, you know, some people actually say, well, things are at least were under control. Things didn't spiral into total anarchy. Whether they would want a guy with a alleged quite violent criminal past, a political power broker in their country, whether a gang leader is the right choice for leading Haiti, I think that the international community would not really accept it. But that doesn't mean that someone like Jimmy Charze, a.k.a. Barbecue, might not exert some political power behind the scenes in the years to come. What do Haitians believe should happen next? We've mentioned a wider criminal gang problem, a power vacuum of sorts, mm -hmm. the assassination of a president. What do people wish and hope happens next? And you can add to that list a powerful earthquake that hit the southern part of the country in August. Exactly. Tropical storms or hurricanes, an ongoing cholera outbreak. There was COVID. I think that ordinary people 
just like people everywhere would like to have some stability, some safety, some ability to provide for their families and have their children get a better life. There's a Haitian saying, beyond the mountains, there are mountains. So this really means that if you overcome one problem, you surmount one challenge, behind that there's just another mountain to climb. And that's what Haiti is, is faced with. And I think that people are fed up, they're tired, they're disenchanted also with the international community. People ask, where did all the money go? There's billions of dollars that flowed into the country after the earthquake in 2010. Where is it? It's not helping us. Who's going to tame the gangs? Who's going to tell us what happened to our president? So a lot of questions, and they're strong and they're resilient. They just keep on keeping on and living their lives as best they can, but they, they hope for a lot better things in their country. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Ruby Zeman, Nagin Oliai, Priyanka Tilvey, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Our story editor is Tom Fenton. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Aya and Milek is our engagement producer, and Stacey Samuel is the executive producer. We'll be back 